0: Spiritual growth is something we've been talking about the last couple of weeks and growing into this life of love, and um, it reminded me of something this week that happened about 15 years ago. On a cool winter morning, I was walking my sons Blaze and Bryce to the bus stop at the end of our street. They were only in first grade or so. Braden had not yet begun to go to school. And uh, I don't know where the time goes, but it goes quickly, doesn't it? Two things happened every morning when I would walk Blazing and Bryce to the bus stop. We would throw a football, which was, actually three things would happen. We would throw a football. Inevitably, someone would be in a fight. And one of those little jokers would always ask for money. And I'm learning as they have become adults that that latter part doesn't change. Does it? And I never knew that elementary school when my kids first started, was so expensive uh, If it wasn't lunch money that they needed, then it was money for extra milk or for an ice cream or for some with 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 forgiveness, ask of the teachers in the room, even Bryce's own teacher is in the room this morning, for some overpriced fundraiser or money for a book fair or for a snack after school or for orphans in the Congo or whatever they needed money for that day. And on the morning of my memory, Bryce was harassing me for five bucks. And I don't know if it was for a bag of pencil erasers or a timeshare in the Caymans or what it was, but I need five bucks. And so, he wore me down, as that is his spiritual gift, and I reached into my wallet, and I opened it up and looked inside, and I had one $5 bill. Uh, I don't carry a lot of cash anyway, because if you carry cash, your kids get it. (laughs) So, uh, I had $5 in my wallet, and I thought, well, this will be a teachable moment. And I took that $5, and I said, now, Bryce, this is the only $5 I have. And uh, you can have it, but it's the only $5 I have, and I've got to go to work today and eat lunch myself. Now, I wouldn't say that now. It's very manipulative of me to say that, but I thought at the moment, I was younger then too, 15 years younger, and I thought this is a good way to teach the boy to have a little compassion. Well, the bus pulls up, the door's open, and he does this. Looks at the bus, looks at me, looks at the bus, looks at me. Took that $5 and he was gone. I got home later that day and Blaze, who had witnessed all of this, met me at the door. Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, why? Oh, did somebody buy your lunch today? (laughs) Now, why did Bryce take my last $5? Because he was young. Because he was immature, because he was selfish, because he was short-sighted, because he was just a kid. All of those things. But the simple answer is he did what he did because that was all he was capable of doing. What else could he have done? Now, I'm happy to report that 15 years later, that if Bryce had his last $5, he would give it to me if I needed it. As would Blaise. I'm happy to report that 15, 16 years later, that both those boys as adults would go to any length for myself, for their mother, or for their little brother. What happened? They grew up. They grew up into adulthood. They matured. And now as mature adults, they are more capable of many more nuanced reactions than just the gut level selfishness that we are all born with. We are all trying to grow up, even now. Spiritual growth, personal development, spiritual formation, discipleship, these are all appropriate descriptions of the journey that we are on as we follow and God willing to become more like Jesus. And it's not a short walk, it's not an easy walk, it's a long road, not unlike the development of a child who eventually grows into an adult. Spiritual growth is not about attending church or reading your Bible or saying your morning prayers or putting a few dollars in the offering plate or taking notes during the summer sermon. None of those things are bad. But spiritual growth is more about the training and forming of our reflexes. Reflexes that seek to become more Christ-like. When pressed to make decisions, when the Heat is put on us in that moment when the big yellow bus is sitting there beside us and the lights are blinking and traffic is backing up on the highway. We react truly without thinking. And the ability to react lovingly, unselfishly, instinctively, and reflexively like Jesus would, that is the goal of spiritual growth and formation. As Paul would say in Ephesians 3... I pray that God may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. That you would grow and be rooted and established in love. That's what this game is about. That's what this Christian life is about. So here is a worthy goal. To live our lives... So that the love and person of Christ flows from our inner being without even having to think about it. Like going to the doctor and you sit down on the table and he takes that little rubber mallet out. Pop! And he hits you on the knee and what do you do? You kick. You don't think, should I kick? It happens. It is an instinctive, reflexive response. Think about how different your life would be, your friendships, your family, our world would be, is if when we are struck, that our reaction is to react as Christ would. That's the end game. To have this Jesus-shaped identity so that it is Christ who responds through us. I talked last week about the what. We need crazy love for a crazy world. I'm really getting to today on the how. We got this that we need more love in the world. We want to be more like Jesus, more or less. We want to respond to life as Jesus would and did respond. We don't have to be hammered about this relentlessly because we get it. But tell me how. How can the power of the living Christ become a reflex in my life? How do I go from being a self-centered, scarcity-driven little child, emotionally and spiritually, to becoming a mature, grounded, centered adult? How do we shape? Or maybe the better question is, how are our spiritual reflexes shaped in a way that are more in the direction of a Jesus-like life. Thankfully, we're not the first ones to ask this question. Paul writes to the Galatian Christians, people not unlike you and me, probably even more desperate than you or me. They didn't have 2,000 years of Christian history to inform or to guide them. They were floundering about the best they could. And Paul writes this shattering letter to assist them on their journey. And we heard some of his words today. I like how the paragraph began. We are not perfect. It's a good place to begin, isn't it? For all of us. We're not perfect. But that doesn't stop us from getting on the right path, is what Paul is saying. And what is that path? From Peterson's translation, the message translation, I identified myself completely with him, Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, Paul's mysticism, Paul's theology, Paul's idea of what it was like to be a Christian comes down to two words in Christ. 160 times in his letters, in Christ. And it's really not mysterious. Right now, in this room, even with your masks, You're breathing air. God willing, not polluted air. You're breathing air. You are in the air. And when you inhale, the air is in you. You exhale. You inhale. Air is all around. Air is within you. Paul is saying, Christ is the atmosphere in which you live now. To live and breathe is to live in this space that Christ has created. Has created for you. And it is in you. It is around you. Within you. You are in the air. The air is in you. You follow me? That's what it means to be in Christ. It's everything. The air that you breathe in and out. And you don't. Even now you're not sitting there thinking. Have I taken a breath in the last few minutes? Of course not. What is it? It's instinctive. It's reflexive. It just, it's just happening. I mean, most of us have so much on our minds. If we had to think about sitting down to breathe, we'd all be dead in an hour. Thank God for this creative body that we have that instinctively keeps us alive. That's what Paul is saying about Christ. You get to a point where you don't think about it. It's just happening around you and within you. You are in Christ now. That is your identity. Can you prove your identity? Or maybe if we turn out the lights and I shine a flashlight in your face and say, you got any ID registration? That might help us all. We've been asked that question before. You know, a guy from Alabama was asked one time if he had any ID. You got any ID? And he said, about what? That's my favorite (laughs) Alabama joke. Sorry. That's a knee lever right there. <clears throat> the truth is we all... <laughs> the truth is we all have an identity. Now, it's complex. Our identities are sometimes contradictory. Uh... We construct them and we build them for ourselves. We have this sense of identity that makes us who we are. In central Greece, there was this ancient city named Delphi. And you may recognize that name, Delphi. There's a GPS and navigational software company. that The Delphi system, it may be in one of your vehicles now that you're driving. They probably built the software that helps you get where you're going, where you don't have to pull a map out of the back seat anymore, and you don't have to rely upon your father that will never stop and ask for directions. You just follow where it tells you to go. Well, it's named after this ancient city in Greece. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands and thousands of people would make this pilgrimage to Delphi, and they would go to the temple of Apollo, and they would seek a word from the oracle of Delphi. A young girl who would sit on a stool breathing the fumes that came out of the volcanic rocks and she would predict a person's future. Now you see why Adelphi uses that name. What they wanted to know was where do I go? Where is my future taking me? What road do I take now? But when you walked into that temple there were two words above the door. Two words that have long been associated with Socrates. No, thyself the greeks understood that you can't plan your future you have no idea where you are going if you don't have some sense of who you are right now know thyself and paul a man that was steeped in Hebrew wisdom, but also Greek philosophy would have known this phrase very well. And you can hear it ringing in our text today. He would agree with that statement, know thyself, and he would say to us, you are in Christ. And if you have an identity, if you are searching for who am I, that question, where am I going, it must begin with your life being immersed and swallowed up In the resurrected life of the living Christ, or you'll have no idea where to go or what to do with the rest of the life that you have. This is the how to the what. What we need is love. And again, love isn't simply about being nice or making friends. It's not the return to some status quo or a pipe dream vision of a, of a utopia in the future. Love isn't even an emotion. It has little to do with how we feel. Love is a way of being in the world. It is an attitude. It is a lifestyle. It is choosing patience and humility, unselfishness, reconciliation, justice, Persevering truth over acrimony, arrogance, greed, hostility, inequality, and easy deceit. You don't live that kind of life. You don't operate in that kind of space. You don't love unless your identity, your person, your true self has been radically transformed by the living Christ. If I'm going to love the people around me, if I am going to love my enemies, if I am going to love myself, then I must so identify with Jesus, be so shaped and forged by Him, that it is Jesus that responds in me, through me, and for me. Because if I leave those reactions to myself, (laughs) then I will say, do, and act in ways that are not consistent with the way of Christ. Are you, are you listening? We all have these lesser identities. That get in the way. Of our Christ. Identity. I'm an American. That's who I am. Not really. That's your nationality. But that's not your identity. Identity. If you think that is your identity, then something as wonderful as your citizenship can get in the way of actually being Christian. Well, I vote for that person or this person. That's who I am. No, it's not. That's an affiliation. That's not your identity. If you think that is who you actually are, then whatever card you're carrying in your wallet could get in the way of you actually being Christian. Well, I was born a Baptist, and I was baptized a Baptist, and I'll die a Baptist. That's who I am. No, it's not. That's your religious choice. It's not who you are. And if you take that as your sole identity, you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to prove how your group is right and everybody else's is wrong. Hell, I'm a Georgia Bulldog. But that's not my identity. Because if that was my identity, I would have already jumped off a cliff a long time ago. (laughs) If that's your identity, you're only as good as what you are identifying with. Are you listening this morning? And if my identity is just wrapped up in that my team, then it forces me to hate everybody that's not on my team. When lesser identities get in the way, we've already left the way. Be proud of your citizenship. Make your electoral decisions. Go to the church you enjoy. Root, root, root for your favorite home team. But don't let these things define you at the expense of Jesus. Ronnie, you just don't understand how important these things are to me. If I give up some of these things, I'll be less of a person. You don't know how much it would hurt me to deprioritize some of these things. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're talking about crucifixion. Now we're talking about letting go. Now we're talking about emptying ourselves. Now we're talking about creating the space that the living Christ can possess within us. We're getting to what Jesus said. If any man or woman would follow me, let he or she deny himself empty, take up his cross and follow. This this is it. It's not rocket science, but it ain't easy. To willingly empty yourself of your priorities and ambitions, and say, I will take the life of Christ as my own. As my identity. I told you a parable a few years ago, and I think it's by Anthony DeMello. A woman is dying. And she knows she's dying, and as she begins to pass, she feels her spirit leaving her body and descending up into what she knows is heaven. And she arrives in heaven, and God ask her a question who are you and she says well i'm the wife of the mayor and god answers i didn't ask you who you were married to who are you and she says well i'm i'm the mother of four children and god says i didn't ask whose mother you are who are you well i'm i'm a school teacher I didn't ask you your occupation. Who are you? Well, I'm a Christian. I didn't ask for your religion. Who are you? On and on this went. Who are you? Who are you? And she could not give an answer without just giving some role that she had played in her lifetime because she honestly didn't know the answer to the question. And so graciously... God sends her back to her body to find that answer. And when she recovered, she took up life again, and she set out to answer that question so that the next time she was asked of God that question, she would be able to answer properly. Who are you? What is your identity? If you sit with that question long enough, If you are sufficiently diligent in the search for an answer, you just might discover why you do the things you do. And why you are the person that you have become. And you just might begin your own journey toward the cross. The cross of self-surrender. And be able to say, as Paul did, I have been crucified with Christ, that's who I am. And I no longer live, but Christ lives within me.